At this time, I'm going to invite Rick up. I understand he's got a special music he's going to bless us with. This is a song that I really enjoy by Michael Card. It's called The Gentle Healer. The gentle healer came into our town today. He touched blind eyes and the darkness left to stay. But more than the blindness, he took their sins away. The gentle healer came into our town today. The gentle healer came into our town today. He spoke one word and that was all he had to say. And the one who had died just rose up straight away. The gentle healer came into our town today. No, he seems like just an ordinary man with dirty feet and rough but gentle hands. But the words he says are hard to understand. And yet he seems like just an ordinary man. The gentle healer, he left our town today. I just looked around and found he'd gone away. Some folks from town who follow him, they say that the gentle healer is the truth, the life, the way. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Our scripture reading this morning is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. If you want to turn there, you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, 
big uh, thank you to everyone who has participated in the service this far. I uh, appreciate Rick filling in there. Um, and uh, thank you all so much for coming. Welcome back from camp meeting. It's, uh, it's always great to go to camp meeting, but it's always great to come back home and be in our home church once again as well to be able to fellowship uh, with one another. So I want to welcome everyone. I see some uh, familiar faces and I see some unfamiliar faces, so I want to welcome everyone um, where I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back um, with, with all of you. Let's go ahead and have one more prayer together, and then I want to, uh, we'll begin our sermon. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much once again for this opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for um, just life and health and breath and bringing us through the week. Thank you for all your many mercies toward us. Just now as we enter into our, our study time, our sermon time, I pray for your spirit to please uh, work in our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. Lord, that we would be drawn closer to you as a result of our time together. I pray that the words that are spoken today would come directly from your throne. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you thinking about? It's a it's uh, is the title of the sermon, and it's a question that we've all asked someone at some point in our life, whether it was our, our mom, our dad, our spouse, our child. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate that. Uh, we, it's something we've all asked someone at some point in our life, whether it was a friend. What are you thinking about? You know, thought is an interesting thing. I... Uh, I remember a few years ago when I was at Southern Adventist University and I went to, I had this question that was kind of plaguing me. And so I, because it was a kind of a deep question for me, I went to the smartest, most intelligent person that I knew who was my advisor, Dr. Stephen Bauer. And I scheduled a meeting with him and I, I came to him and I said, you know, Dr. Bauer, our brain is composed of matter. It's something that you can look at it under a microscope. It, it has cellular structure. It's, it, it's composed of something. It, it has substance. But what is thought? What is, it, it has no substance. It's not something that we can quantify or measure. Uh, we don't know what it is, yet we experience it on very deep levels, and it affects us in, in, in deep ways. And... Uh, Dr. Bauer, he has a pun for everything, and, and so he, he kicks off the conversation with, well, that's some pretty deep thinking for a welder. Um, and so I, uh, we, I went out from there, and I didn't have what I would say was a satisfactory answer. Um, I, had, uh, I was in the middle of school, and so it was something that I kind of scheduled, and I just walked away. Um, and eventually would get back to this question, and I would track down the answer. Uh, what is thought? It has no substance. It's just this invisible thing in the air that we all experience and feel, but we have no way to quantify what it is. And uh, so I went out from there, and I, I'd read up on the scientific, you know, science can say, well, it's a chemical process that happens in your brain, but yeah, you can tell me what's happening in my brain, but you can't tell me what it is what thought actually is. Even though we cannot quantify or grasp what thought is, we can conclude from our world that thought is a powerful thing. Every moral action begins with a thought first. 
uh, every, every sinful, adulterous, whatever act that has ever occurred. It began in some person's mind first. Uh, there was one man in the 1930s and 40s, he was so able to effectively convey his evil thoughts that he was able to sway an entire nation into believing and thinking the way that he did. And as a result, millions of people lost their lives because of one man's thoughts. Thought is a powerful thing. The opposite is also true, that the greatest good that has occurred in our world began as a thought. Somebody experienced some sort of impression or some sort of thought and acted on it for good, and good also occurs. We all experience thought, and we yield to that thought for good or for evil. What are you thinking about? As human beings, our countenance reflects what we think about. Okay? Um, If our thoughts are of God and joy and the peace that he affords in our life, no matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter how it's crashing down, and our thoughts are on God's provision and his ability to take care of us, then I can experience his peace, his joy. His, his, his spirit in my life. And so my countenance reflects that. But if I focus on all the bad and all the evil and all the oh no, what ifs, the things that are out of my control, my countenance will reflect one of fear, one of anxiety, one of worry. We reflect what we think about. Okay, Your thoughts, and there are some people who are better at um, hiding their thoughts than others that are hiding actually thinking than others, but in general, we reflect what we think about, and we will talk about what we think about, okay? Those are just kind of two general rules. So I can focus on God's ability to take care of me, and I can experience his peace and joy in this life, or there's times, I mean, when you go to a funeral, what are the countenances of people? They're thinking sad thoughts. They just lost someone, so our countenance reflects that of sadness, right? We reflect what we think about. When a person is angry, you can see it in their face. Our our, our countenance reflects that. As God's children, we can choose what we put into our mind, what we think about, what we dwell upon. We can dwell upon God, His character, His plan of salvation, and the peace that He affords, His attributes. When we do that, we'll speak of his goodness, his love, his mercy. At various times in my life, we've all experienced this. When we're worried, we we reflect those thoughts. When we're agitated, if I dwell upon my pet peeves, I take on an agitated demeanor. However, the opposite is true. If I'm dwelling upon God, if I'm dwelling upon his ability to take care of me, and I'm resting in him, I have a restful, peaceful countenance. What are you thinking about? We reflect the characteristics of the thoughts and the origin of our thoughts. In my pondering of this topic, I have come to believe that thought is what still connects us to the divine. Thought is what still connects us to the spirit world. And I'll tell you why. Not that, you know, we experience thought, we either act or yield to the thought, or we dismiss the thought and move on. 
on some level, we're original. We can think. We make choices. I think about uh, somewhere around Exodus 14, where God, he tells Moses, when, he's, when they're building the tabernacle, he tells him, he says, this guy, and he named them by name. This person, I have endowed with, he, he's going to be your silversmith. He's going to be your goldsmith. He is really talented in this because I have given him those talents. So we have an original mind of what, God, how, what the gifts and talents that God has given to us. But there's also other things that we have to yield upon, think about, or, or act upon that are outside of our scope of, of what our, the stamp of ourself. I'll call it that. In a spiritual sense, I don't feel like we're that original. I almost see us as filters. We either, we either yield to this spiritual this spiritual entity or this thought for good or for evil. And it, it, it's coming from outside of us. And here's what I'll, I'll uh, when it comes to revelation, it does not originate with us. The Bible tells us that holy men of old moved, they wrote, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is responsible for the writing of the Bible, the compilation of the canon of the Bible. We have a perfect comparison in the relationship of the sun, moon, and stars, when I think about us in a spiritual sense. The earth has no light in it of itself. Nothing. It receives light from the sun. The moon has no light in it of itself. It merely receives the light and reflects the light from the sun. And I see us very much in the same way. We reflect the thoughts that we choose to dwell upon. We reflect in our countenance the thoughts or the origin of where the thought came from. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to exemplify or give you some examples in a minute. We read in Steps to Christ, chapter 3, that Christ is the source of every right impulse. So whatever good that I have ever done in my life is because I received some sort of inspiration from Jesus and I acted upon that. So He's the source. Christ is the source of every right. I cannot claim anything good that I have done in my life for myself. That's why when we all get to heaven, we're going to cast our crowns at Jesus' feet. Not only because He's made a way for us, Not only because He's made a way of salvation for us, but because whatever gems, whatever deeds, whatever, it all goes back to Him. And I merely yielded to that influence in my life. Jesus is the source. Jesus prompted me to do so. And I just, Lord, I am, that's, well, this is what helped me understand Luke chapter 17. When the, re- the response of the servants, and they said, Lord, we, have only, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which was our duty to do. Lord, I only did what you asked me to do. That's all I'll be able to say at the end of my life. Nothing else. The Bible tells us that it is God who works in us, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. 
Whatever good there is in us, it came from Jesus, and we choose to either grow and walk and yield in harmony with that good, or we choose to snuff that life out. We have two choices. There's only two warring entities in this world. We yield to one or to the other. Paul says that in his flesh, nothing good dwells. In the same way that we cannot see the wind, we know that it exists because we see the effect of the wind on the trees, on the branches, on the grass. We can see the effect of thought, and we experience it in our minds. We can sense the effects of the Holy Spirit, and we can see it in the life of another person. As I mentioned earlier, when I dwell upon and ruminate on negative thoughts, my irritations, I take on an agitated, irritable demeanor. It's it's just a rule that we reflect what we think about. We know that the devil can interject thought into our mind. He He can suggest things. We all have experienced dark thoughts. Psychologists call them intrusive thoughts. Dark things that you wouldn't even say out loud. You're going, where did that thought come from? Lord, please take this away from me. That's scary. We all have experienced those on some level. And I believe that those thoughts reflect the character attributes of where they, the being that they came from. I really appreciated a story, as I mentioned, my, my senior pastor from where I came. It's almost been a year ago now. <clears throat> pastor Rusty told a story at one point in time, and it was while I was putting all this together, and it was perfect. God is, God is perfect. And he was telling this story, and there was about this man who was studying the Bible in California with two Bible study contacts. He was studying the Bible with these two men. And during the Bible studies, one of the men was receiving light, receiving truth, and he, was, he wanted to walk in the truth. The other man would become, he would take on this irritable countenance. He would become, he would become agitated. He would start spouting off all kinds of he would start spouting off all kinds of objections. And perhaps in his mind he thought, this is the due diligence that I need to do, is to push back to what he was learning. And so after this went on two or three times, the Bible worker, or I don't know if he was a pastor, Bible worker, what, he began praying like, Lord, what is going on here? Why is this guy doing this? It's disrupting our whole Bible study. I don't know what to do. Please help me. The next time they met, and sure enough, at some point in the Bible study, some point of contention came up. The man, he became angry, he became irritable, and all of a sudden, at that moment in time, the Bible worker, whoever he was who was teaching, he saw this huge towering demonic figure standing behind the man. And he said, a substance that looked like honey fell out of its mouth and landed on the man. And as soon as it did, he began spouting off all of his objections. The man was reflecting in his countenance 
the character attributes of where those thoughts were coming from. Obviously, this is an opposing force in the great controversy. He doesn't want him to accept truth. He doesn't want him to walk in the truth. And so he thinks he's, being, he's, he's receiving these thoughts and it's some sort of intelligent way of working through the Bible study. The man was reflecting the countenance of the thoughts that he was indulging in. He was reflecting in his countenance the character attributes of where the thoughts were coming from. And he was disrupting the Bible study because that's what Satan does. He seeks, to, he seeks to kill. He seeks to destroy. He seeks to alter a person from receiving the truth. As human beings, we have the ability to filter and say, I'm not going to indulge in that thought. I'm going to sit and listen a little bit longer. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We talked about that this morning. Spouting off, becoming agitated. I experienced this in my own Bible study. I didn't get to see the demonic figure, but I saw the person's face. I saw the scowl in their face. And I dealt with all the, the madness. And um, I knew that the person's character, the spirit he was walking in, was not of Christ. It was not one of love. It was not of self-control, for sure. It was not of peace. He didn't have that in his life. He didn't have, he didn't have joy. He was not, this was not a pleasant conversation. And I just prayed afterward, like, Lord, I would pray that at least he may have seen, if he didn't hear a word that I said, I praise God that I was able, that I, that I had the Spirit of God, and I was able to just sit and listen to him and just stay composed. And hopefully he could just at least see the contrast at some point in his life between somebody who has the Spirit of God and somebody who's just, just doing their own thing. At the end, of, as, this, as this teacher had a look of horror on his face as he saw this towering figure, you know, the demonic being realized that he could see him and he just kind of like shrugged his shoulders like, what are you going to do about it? You know, he's, he's, he's working for me. He's doing everything I tell him to do. So what are you going to do? <clears throat> I've got, he's, it, it's, it's, there's a legal aspect of I have a right to be here if this person's on my team. I believe that these spirit beings can see whether or not we have taken a thought based on our reflection, based on whether we're running with it, based on whether we're spouting it off. The great controversy is being played out in our mind. We choose whose side we're on. We can either assess the thoughts and yield to them or reject them. Repeated thoughts become actions. Repeated actions we call habits. Habits are what make up the character, and our character is the only thing that we get to take with us to heaven. And I hope it's one that reflects Jesus, one of humility, one of joy, one of peace, one who is teachable, not one who is just consistently spouting off. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us that we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in high places. So he saw people just as a medium through which holy influences worked or demonic influences worked. Unfortunately, there's no gray area. Trust me, I've wished so many times that I didn't have to participate in this thing. Okay? It gets, it's, it's, until you figure it out, it can be very frustrating. He admonishes us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes 
of the devil. A scheme is just a large systematic plan for putting an idea into effect. Thought. It's about thoughts. It's about ideas. It's about what influences are we going to yield to in our life? Whose spirit are we walking in? And if we find ourselves out of harmony with the Spirit of God, then we can take a step back and say, whoa, I don't want to be on that team. I want to reflect the character of Christ. I want to reflect the, the, the attributes of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to our scripture reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, Paul is obviously writing, this is, his, this is uh, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Obviously, this is written to the Corinthian church. Paul is dealing in this situation with somebody coming from the outside, whether they were, they were Judaizers, who I don't know what they were, but they were undermining his influence. They were undermining his gospel. They were undermining what he was trying to teach. And so there were people challenging the validity of the gospel that he was preaching. And so Paul, it was a smear campaign against him. Paul was left in this unfortunate place of having to defend himself. So that's what he's doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And he says, verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's not being combative. He's not fighting. He's not becoming irate. He's composed. He is, he is working in the confines or walking in the Spirit of Christ, who, in the presence and lowly among you, yet being absent, I am bold toward you. Meaning, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to call things what they are. He says, but I beg of you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk according to the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons are, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So he's talking about warfare of his time, pulling down strongholds, pulling down walls. He says, casting down arguments in verse 5. An argument is an idea. It's a thought. Okay? That's being expressed. He says, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Knowledge is just our thoughts that we've compiled in our life. Knowledge is something that we've been able to store away. It's thought. It's ideas. And then he goes on, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought. So Paul is outlining here. He's outlining warfare. It's a spirit and a spiritual battle. This is where we get the idea of the great controversy from. It's a battle between good and evil, battle between Christ and Satan. And he's talking about how our warfare is one that is being played out in the mind. And he uses the warfare words of his day. 
these people, there are people coming in, undermining his authority, undermining his gospel. Let me skip ahead. When you take somebody, when we're in a war, let's say we're all in a war, what does it mean to take someone captive? For one thing, you're in control. You get to choose. And in our case, we're taking this thought and we're bringing it to Jesus, our leader, and he determines what happens with it. Is this one that is in harmony with him? Is it something that's in harmony with his kingdom? Is it something that is a reflection of his character? And after, if it makes, if it make, if it aligns with that, if it aligns with Christ's character, if it aligns with his word, then it's something that we can walk in. If you find in your life, you know, for one thing, we're in control of our carnal nature. In our carnal nature, we're powerless against this, though. That's why Paul says we're either slaves of sin or we're slaves of righteousness. In Satan's kingdom, there's no choices. There's no choice who you're going to serve this day. In Satan's kingdom, we're just subjects, and we do whatever the thought, whatever those things that enter our mind. We are, we're, we're slaves to whatever our sin is, whatever our addictions are. You're a, if you've ever been addicted to anything, you're a slave to that thing. You don't have a choice. You may not, you may not want to, but you're still a slave to it. Okay? That's why Jesus tells us that we have to be born again. We have to receive his spirit. He sets us free from those things. He sets us free from our bondage. And then we have a choice. Am I going to do that thing? No. Jesus promises to give us the power to overcome. He promises to give us His Spirit, which gives us self-control. And when you find in your life that you're out of harmony with God somewhere, it's simply just coming to Him and saying, Lord, this is where my my thoughts are taking me. This This is how I've been acting out on those things. Lord, I need you to help me, give me victory over these things. It's just a prayer away. And when we receive Jesus, we then have a choice. I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that. And I'm not saying that it's not hard at times. I had, a, I had a, an instance very recently in the last few weeks where I had to make... Is that going to lead me closer to Christ? Is that going to lead me to a place where I am reflecting Christ more fully? No, that's not going to do that. So I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to act on that thought. And then I start praising God for giving me the victory over such things. He wants to give us self-control to be able to overcome. We bring our captive, this thought, whatever it is, to Christ, and He determines what we do with it from there, and He gives us the victory from there. And it's just praying through these things. Lord, the devil's attacking me. Lord, the devil's tempting me. Please, I know these thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm asking you to take this away. Give me the route of escape that you promised that you would do. Please. And the thoughts may not even be evil. I know I'm I'm closing soon. Thoughts may not even be evil. I think that the devil's number one thing in our culture, in our world, is just busyness. Just taking us away from what is important. Taking us away from God. Taking us away from our families. We are so bombarded by busyness. We are so distracted. It's right here in my pocket all the time. Something to take me away 
from what I could or should be doing. Prioritize who's going to be first in our life. When you start your day with Jesus, it changes your day. It changes it. No matter what things come or go, you can experience His peace in the midst of whatever bad things, good things, whatever may have happened in that day. Because you started your day yielding your life to Him. it, It changes your life. Peter tells us that our adversary is wandering around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's why we need that covering of Jesus every day, and it gives us the ability to discern, filter through the thoughts. Take the captive to your leader. Satan knows how thoughts are... Look at how Satan operates. He knows how powerful thought is. That is why he seeks to suppress it at all times. Look at the dark ages. They took away information. They took away the Bible. They took away everything from the people so that the people would be subject to his whims, his will in whatever situation. Governments for many years have attempted to control the thoughts of their subjects using propaganda, using withholding information, withholding things. The devil knows that thought is a powerful thing. And when we choose to align our thoughts with God's thoughts, powerful things happen. Look at the book of Acts. Look at the Bible over. We reflect what we think about. We reflect the characteristics or attributes of the source of our thoughts. We are reflectors. We are not original in a spiritual sense. We have a core of what makes us us and how we think and and the gifts and talents that we have. But beyond that, in a spiritual sense, we are reflectors, just like the relationship between the sun, the moon, and the earth. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 to meditate on whatever is true. Meditate on whatever is lovely. Meditate on good things. Meditate on God. Meditate on, don't meditate on all the things that the fearful things that are out of your control out there, meditate on God's ability to take care of you in the midst of all those things. Then you can experience His peace in the midst of whatever may happen. Okay? Be a Christian today. Focus on Jesus today and His ability, not on your inabilities, not on your ability to not take care of the problem. When we meditate on the attributes of God, we find in His Word our counsel. Our, our countenance, our demeanor reflect that. We reflect God. We reflect His love. <clears throat> Not that I don't want us to go away from the sermon looking for a demon around every corner. That's not the point. The point is to, to develop good thinking habits. To develop good daily habits with Jesus. And once you have an understanding... It's just like focusing, it's this old thing. You know, the, the people, the guys who are, are responsible for figuring out fraudulent signatures. Is this a real signature of Abraham Lincoln or not? They don't focus on all the wrong signatures out there. They focus on the right one. And then when they see one that doesn't line up with it, they're like, nope, this is not his signature. So when you're focused on Jesus and you're focused on his thoughts and you're meditating on on all the good things that Paul tells us to meditate on, when the bad things come in, you're like, nope, that is not in harmony with Christ's kingdom. And you'll see it in yourself. 
We've all experienced it where it's like if I am meditating and focusing on all the bad, wrong things in my life, I, I reflect one, an agitated demeanor. We've all experienced that. We're all made out of the same material. What are you thinking about? How is it affecting you? How is it affecting your life? How is it affecting your relationships? Are you reflecting the attributes of Christ? If you're not, then go to Christ and ask Him to help you. It's, it's that simple. Don't try to do it on your own. We need Him to do the work in us. Lord, I cannot change this. I can't change the way that I think. I need your help. Please help me. I'm closing right after this story. I had a friend of mine. And, uh, this has been a few years ago now. It was my first year at Southern. I met him. Um, I met him at one of the church that we were, churches we were attending there. We both had a daughter the same age. Okay? So we met in primary or kindergarten or whatever class we were in. I think it was kindergarten. And I don't know what it was about him. My wife, we just, we just loved him. It was who he was, his, his nature, his demeanor. He was funny. He was, a very, uh, he was just a very godly person. And uh, we, you know, we only knew him for about a year, but there, you know, it's one of those just connections. I don't know how to explain it. Um, he was just a wonderful person. And a year, a little over a year after I met him, um, he just, unbeknownst to me, he had a heart problem. And he had had it his entire life. And at the tender age of 40, he died. Just, you know, for them, the family, they knew that eventually the day would come. Um, His wife, his mom, his dad knew that eventually the day would come. Um, and so just out of the blue, this friend that we loved so dearly, there wasn't a time that we came from a meeting with him or a, a social gathering with him that we did not talk about him on the way home. Like, I just love that guy. We loved him. He was, he was such an amazing person. And uh, it just his character, his, who he was, his mind, his, he was a wonderful person. And uh, I remember... Pr- pleading with God, like, Lord, here's a six-year-old daughter. Here's a wife, young wife, 40 years old, left behind. I'm like, I really fought with God over this. Like, why would you let this happen? Like, there's so many awful people in the world. You know, he was a light in this world. And I would name off his character attributes. It's like, he was like this, he was this. And I remember in the throes of my crying and weeping with God, I remember God responding. And he he said something like this. You know all those things that you loved about Stacy? Names off these attributes. He's like, he's like, those are all my attributes. All the things that you're talking about. And he said, Stacy was reflecting me. So those attributes, praise God, live on forever because God is eternal. And I pray for all of us that we are reflecting Him throughout our earthly life, 
So the same things can be said about us. That we reflected Christ. We are reflectors. We have no light or original goodness. We just reflect. Just like the earth and the moon have no light in and of themselves. They receive the light and they reflect it. We reflect for good or for evil. Whatever we're putting into our minds, whatever we're dwelling upon, by beholding, by dwelling, we become changed. We are to be renewed by the transforming of our minds. And this all happens through thought. We make choices about what we're going to dwell upon. When we can engage the great controversy on this level, it will change your life. It will change your family's life. When you can see what is happening and you don't allow or give place to the devil, it changes your Christian experience. It's no longer this dull, drab, drudge thing that my parents made me do my whole life. When you understand and see it for what it is, it also helps us to see people like Jesus did. This is why he could pray, Lord, forgive them. He understands that they were merely reflecting the attributes of the being who was trying to kill him. He, he could pray, Lord, forgive them. That's why Stephen could pray, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're just responding. They're just reacting to thought that is coming from an evil source. That's why Paul could pray for his captors. That's why Paul could pray in prison. Because he saw people in the light of the great controversy. If you go on throughout Corinthians 11, he talks about these people. If you go flip over the page, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Paul saw people, saw all of us, as we are reflectors of what we are the thought processes we are engaging in, for good or for evil. The worst part is this kind of situation right here that he's talking about. Somebody who thinks they're right, somebody who thinks they're on God's side, but they're a persecuting power. We've seen that, where Christianity has been weaponized. All through the Dark Ages, we see that. People losing their life in the name of Christ. That's, that's, not, that's not the kingdom of Christ whatsoever. We don't see Jesus doing that. That's not God's character. We don't see him masquerading and starting an army and rallying an army and killing people because they think differently than him. What are you thinking about? How is it affecting you? Are you reflecting the attributes of Christ? If not, then go to Christ and ask him to help you. Don't try to do it on your own. We need his divine aid in this, in this work. This is why we have to depend on Jesus every single day. It is, it is dependence on him, not on ourselves. 
Otherwise, we will be deceived like Eve was based on what we see. We will be deceived. I beg of you today, surrender your life to Christ, to his thoughts, to his will for your life. We find his thoughts written in our Bibles. We experience his thoughts in prayer. When you experience the right impulse of the Holy Spirit, yield to that. Make that call. Give the person positive affirmation. That's coming from Jesus. Affirm people. Tell them you're thankful for them. Praise God and people audibly. We want to uplift and upbuild each other, not tear each other down. Take every thought captive and bring it to Christ. And in every trial and in every circumstance, we are to turn to him to help. And as we do, we will reflect his countenance. We will reflect his attributes. Let's sing our closing hymn together, and then we will have our closing prayer. Please stand with me as we sing. Page 483.
developing good thoughts, meditating on that which is good. Focusing on God and his ability to help you and not on all the what-ifs in the world. There's a part that I missed in the sermon that I wish I meant to touch on. This, this, because the great controversy is something we engage on in our mind, this is why the devil has introduced so many mind-altering devices in our world, because we are powerless once we are under those influences. It could, it could be any number of things, but when temptation comes, while under the influences of whatever, drug, alcohol, whatever you want to say, People, that's why the rates of, of sexual assault, assault, rape, go through the roof as soon as drugs, alcohol are induced. Because people, the suggestion comes and they just act on it. There's no inhibitions anymore. So guard, guard what you're putting into your body so that it affects what you're putting in will affect what comes out of you as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we truly need you every hour. Lord, we are dealing with a realm that we only, exp- only can see through a glass dimly now. We are dependent on you to walk us through our earthly lives. We're dependent on you. We cannot do it our own. We're like, we would be like lost sheep whom a lion is able to easily devour when we wander away from your side. Lord, help us to stay near to you. Draw us closer to you. Help us to reflect you and your character more fully every day. Help us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for your desire to save us, to walk with us. Help us to have the same desire to walk with you as you have to walk with us. We love you, Lord. Please continue to be with us and guide us as we go out the rest, throughout the rest of our Sabbath together. And Lord, let your will be accomplished in each of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.